Well, in our reading we had Psalm 72, and um, it's such a vital psalm for us to understand the plan and purpose of God for this very nation. And indeed every nation, and of course, um, the fact that it, it's, it's, about, it's a psalm, our Bible tells us, for Solomon or to Solomon or of Solomon, it's a, a psalm that reminds us of the continu continuity, the continuation of the Davidic throne. God, um, David wanted to build God a house. And through the prophet, uh, God said to David, you'll not build me a house, I'll build you a house. And it's interesting, when I was speaking earlier, my Bible was open, Isaiah 66, it said, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me and where is the place of my rest? David's heart was to build God a house and Solomon built the house. But God said, no, I'm going to build you a house. And he meant the Davidic dynasty. So what he meant was that every king born in succession to David, um, the throne would continue. And so this psalm here reminds us that all the blessings that David walked in, his son would walk in, and every successor to that throne. Now, I read from that book, God Save the King, which is just newly published by Ian Bradley, who writes in these matters. And he mentioned the long-standing belief and tradition in Britain, and certainly held by our own royal house, that the British throne is descended from the throne of David. And there are many charts on that. We've got them here. I believe the charts are certainly in some of the royal residences. Now, if that's so, it's, it's electrifying. Because it means that all the promises that God gave to David and here to Solomon still apply to their successors. And arguably apply more as time goes on. Okay, because God, it's the same with the Abrahamic covenant. God blessed Abraham. God had made covenant with Abraham. But the Abrahamic covenant is still on the earth today and still comes upon Abraham's descendants today. And the Bible says that they belong to us in Christ. And the Bible actually says that Christ took the curse upon him so that that blessing could come upon the nations. So when you give your life to Christ, the blessing of Abraham comes upon you. So what I want us to look at today, and we're going to be looking at this as a regular theme as we lead up to the coronation, that we are expected in Christ as believers, as Christians in Britain, we are expected to play our part in supporting the monarchy, and all that are in authority. First Timothy chapter 2 tells us, we looked at it yesterday in the gathering, that our prayer is for all men and for kings and for all that are in authority. Now, I know believers have said to me, people have said to me, oh, we're not praying for him. He, Charles I'm talking about, 
And even some people said it of the Queen, not praying for them. They're all globalists, occultists, Freemasons, whatever it is. But I want to say this to you. If you are not praying for our monarch, you're a rebel. You are Shana, as we looked at yesterday. And that's not, that's not a good thing. It's not a good place to be. And, and unfortunately, Scotland right now, that spirit is rampant in the land. And if you've noticed with the leadership contest of the SNP, they're all disparaging of the monarchy. Sadly, even Kate Forbes has not had much to say in support of our monarchy. Now, I just want to remind us of our biblical obligation. We do it every week. We pray for kings and all in authority. And if you say, well, they're all badgings, they're all, and they are. Many of them are. Some of them are wicked. Some of them are just incompetent. Some of them are both. But brothers and sisters, that's the very reason that we pray. Like I said yesterday, if you had someone living next door to you who was a drug addict, you wouldn't say, I'm not praying for them. They're drug addicts. No, you see, the very reason I'm praying for them is because they're drug addicts. Or if they're criminals, oh, I'm not praying for them. They're gangsters. Well, that's why we would pray for them. So why don't we apply this? And by the way, it's not a suggestion. It's a biblical command that we pray for those, for kings and all that are in authority. So this psalm begins with a prayer. And some people believe that Solomon prayed this to God for himself, but certainly it's written in such a way that we can pray it today. We can pray this prayer today for the, the man who is going to be crowned in a couple of months' time. Give the king thy judgments, O Lord. What a prayer. In other words, let the king reflect how you think. Let the king be Christ-like. Let the king be a person of justice, just like you, O Lord. Just having your judgments, having your perspective. That's how this psalm begins. What a great prayer to pray for King Charles. What a great prayer to pray for every national leader. Sadly, some countries don't have kings. They've got presidents and prime ministers. And praise God we have a king here in the British Isles, in Britain. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. In other words, what he's saying is, keep this going. Keep what David had. Keep the blessings David had. Keep the relationship that David had. In other words, he's saying, let's believe that God will make our king a Davidic king. Oh boy, do we need a Davidic king. Amen? We need a king with a shepherd's heart like David. What did David say about, what did, sorry, what did the Lord say about David? He's a man after my own heart. Would that King Charles, it could be said to him, when he expires his last breath, that it be said of him, you know, he was a man after God's heart. Well, he's not that. I've seen what he said. I've seen this. I've read this. I've watched that YouTube video. Brothers and sisters, hence why we pray. If you're waiting for a perfect king to roll up and stroll up, you'll be waiting a long time. 
Your job and my job in the matter is to pray. And not just for kings, but for the, the, the governmental leaders that we have. The reason we're in a mess is because of our governments. Give the king thy judgments, O God. And look what it says, verse 2. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. You know, one of the criticisms leveled at elite, elite leaders, not just kings, but political leaders, they don't care about the poor. They don't care about the common man. Amen? You know, but see if that's true. It's because we're not praying these prayers. We need a king who cares about the poor. Because let me tell you, the greatest king of all, the king of kings and the lord of lords, he came with good news for the poor. The Lord Jesus. King Jesus. His heart is for the poor. And we need a king on the throne of Britain today. And we need a first minister in the office at Butte House. And we need someone in number 10 Down Street. And we need, throughout the land, civic and national and governmental leaders who care about the poor, genuinely care about the poor. <coughs> Not just give lip service, like we said yesterday. Well, I want elected in, so I'm going to offer a free laptop. and There's free bikes for all your kids. And then when they get in, they don't mention it anymore. He shall judge thy people with righteousness, with justice, and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. What that really means is this. There'll just be righteousness pouring down all the time. Justice. Fairness. Equity. Which means fairness for all. Not that some people will have privilege over other people. Because they've got wealth or status or clout or whatever. The mountains shall rain down. Righteousness. Verse 4, he shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. Do you know who the oppressor is, don't you? It is the, banks, the banking system. That's what it's talking about. The economic system that's out there, that means that you are paying three, four times for your house, what its value is, in a mortgage. Mortgage is de eh, French for death choke. The oppressor is, is the Babylonian economy. The system. And that horrible system that puts lure pack up to £7 a tub. <laughs> a godly king will break that in pieces. A godly king will not allow corporations and banks and that whole cabal to oppress people and people being terrified, not putting their heating on because they can't afford it, or eating one meal a week. I'm reading people that they have one meal a week because they can't afford it. That's oppression. That's the house of bondage. That's what we had in Egypt. But it says a godly king will break that system. A godly king will demand that his people be free from financial and economic oppression. When the Bible speaks about the oppressor, it's talking about economic oppression. 
coupled with maybe military. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. The Bible, we ought to fear <coughs> our king in the sense of having reverence. But that's not coming. We had this in the covenant times, and, and we need to mention that. The covenanters were sincere men and women, but they made mistakes. One of the mistakes they made was to trust the king, King Charles II. So they made Charles II. See, the covenanters didn't have a problem with having a king. But they said the king should do as we do, which is bow the knee to King Jesus. The king of the land should acknowledge that over them is a king, heaven's king, the king of kings. And some kings and queens, our late queen and Queen Victoria and other monarchs have been happy to do that. But the Stuart dynasty had this whole thing going on in their thinking. They were the supreme power in the land. And Charles II, he, he wanted the supremacy. But he signed the covenant to say to them, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus is my king. And then he abrogated it or he broke the covenant and ended up killing the very people he'd signed the covenant with. <laughs> See, the issue is not should we have a king or shouldn't we have a king. Kingdom is God's system of government. And like I says, if our king is indeed descended from the throne of David, then we certainly ought to have it. But the point is, the king or the queen, the monarch, the sovereign, the one who sits on the throne, should be somebody who acknowledges the lordship of Christ. And then we can have respect and honour and revere them. Amen? What a horrible thing that it broke down in England with the Puritans and up here with the Covenanters that they could no longer trust their king. But the, perf the perfect scenario, the template is that we have uh, what old John McPhee used to say, a consecrated king in a consecrated land full of consecrated saints, a holy nation that we would have godly leaders. What a difference. You see, there's a supernatural dimension of breakthrough and revival and anointing that we will never, ever, ever walk in until we have that. So that's why the Bible says, first of all, first of all, pray for these things. He shall come down like rain, verse 6, upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. That speaks about refreshing, right? Imagine having a king or a prime minister even or, or national leaders that were so refreshing. I said this yesterday. Imagine having, rather than having to wait till Christmas Day for a 15-minute wee homily, imagine every week you had a broadcast from Buckingham Palace. Greetings, citizens. I just want to share some Bible verses with you tonight to bless you. Imagine having a king like that. Imagine having a land or a nation 
where that was allowed. See, we don't allow our kings to speak. We silenced our kings because we don't want kings saying things that we don't want to hear. Our late king, going back into the war years, King George VI, called the nation to prayer to defeat the Axis powers, to call for deliverance for the land, for the nation, for the people. Oh, we don't want kings doing stuff like that. But we'll listen to balloons and charlatans speaking in Holyrood and Westminster. And we, we had that imposter every day during COVID giving her updates. But our kings and our queens are not allowed to speak. And this is the reason why, because the enemies understand that if you have a king or a queen that will do what they're supposed to do, which is open God's book and speak. We were saying this yesterday in the law, it's commanded that a king of Israel would write out their own copy of the law. Imagine going up to King Charles in his coronation saying, here's all these refill pads, your majesty, for you to write out the Holy Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And bear in mind that the monarchs, they have the Apocrypha, so they've got more than 66 books to write. See, we need godly government. We need a king like that. We need a king like David. A man whose heart is after God. Oh, we just want kings that shut their mouths. They can say a few wee words at Christmas Day. But we don't want anything else. Well, brothers and sisters, I believe from God's word the king should have a voice. Remember that film a few years back, The King's Speech? And king, it was about King George VI and he, he had a stutter, a stammer, and he, he wasn't good at public speaking, then he was trained. That was a prophetic message to say... You might try and silence. You know, in this particular king, uh, he, he said a few controversial things in the past, some we don't agree with. But this whole business of silencing the king, well, it's not biblical. Imagine the refreshing of a king that comes down like rain upon the moon grass as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. We're living in a land where the righteous, it's, it's the wicked that are flourishing. Amen? You know, you look in these streets. And who's driving the white Range Rovers? It's the drug dealers. Amen? While you and I are driving our, our Vauxhalls and our Fords, and yeah, they're all driving about in the gear. Because the wicked are flourishing. But it says, for a king like David, in his days shall the righteous flourish. You and I will be picking up those white Range Rovers and white discoveries for pennies on the pound. Amen? Well, that I'm looking for a white Range Rover, by the way. You understand what I'm saying? A beamer. Abundance of peace. Do we have peace? 
See, in First Timothy, when he says pray for kings and all that and authority, he then tells us that we might have a peaceable life. Now, when did you last have a peaceable life? When did you last, you know, like we all, you know, uh, you know that old song, roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. I'm showing my age here. Remember, we talk about that oh, when we were young. We, remember all the great times. And everybody got on and all this. And there was peace. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's also the absence of stress. But it's more than just the absence of stuff. Peace is like what the, the, the boys were describing the other day with their dad. Happy, happy times growing up. I remember happy times. And I don't want some of you folks saying, yeah, I do too until I get married. <laughs> Abundance of peace, folks. Is there peace on the earth right now? Or is it just all stress and the threat of war? I don't know if you watch what I watch online, but I tell you what, the threat of war is a lot, a lot more plausible and possible than maybe a lot of us think. Verse 8, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. And again, talking about, uh, and, and, and David knows this, we used to speak about this a lot. This is about the, the Davidic throne. And from the river to the ends of the earth literally means from the river Euphrates all the way around the Cape and all the way up into the English Channel and British waters. Because the ends of the earth is the British Isles. And they were exact, that, they were the seaways that Britain controlled and patrolled and dominated with the Royal Navy. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. Here we are, we're in the Bible again, folks. We're prophesied. You know, God looked down through the, the corridors of time and says, I need to put Tharsis Street in my word. The kings of Tharsis And of the isles shall bring presents the kings of Sheba, and Sheba shall offer gifts. There we are again, verse 10, the kings of Tharsis. We're in the Bible. And we're kings. Amen? Kings and priests unto God. <laughs> yes, watch this. Yea, all kings shall bow down before him, all nations shall serve him. Now, I believe this is applicable to the British throne. I've been very clear about that. But I want to say this as well. I believe a godly king or godly president or godly ruler of a nation, when they, when, when they do what the Bible says to do, I believe that God will cause their enemies to bow down before them. doesn't matter what nation you're in. But I do believe it applies to Britain and to America and so on. All nations shall bow down. And it's not about, do we have the biggest army? It's not about, do we have the most powerful navy? It's not about, do we have more nukes than anybody else? It's all about, does God put the fear of us upon our enemies? Because even, even when we won the world wars, we weren't the most powerful nation. But God was with us. 
And this is not just some patriotic, jingoistic, oh yeah, Royal Britannia. It's not at all. As I said, this can apply, I believe, to any nation out there, to any presidential leader out there who will dedicate themselves and their nation to God. And we need leaders like that in our nations. I want to tell you where we need it. We need it in Glasgow City Council. We need this in George Square. Rather than all the mess that we get. And let's get drag queens to come and perform in front of our children. No, let's get the gospel into our schools. Like they used to do. I'm running out of time, folks. And it's a long psalm to, to, to preach through. We might come back to it. I just want to show you that here in God's word we have this prayer in the many ways that we can pray for our king who's going to be crowned in a couple of months, less than that now. And, but we should be praying this all the time. Not just for our king, but for, for whoever is the next first minister. And certainly for our prime minister. But let's bow our heads and pray before we sing our last hymn. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for the biblical key of David. We thank you that, Lord, we can see in your word that there's a template, there's a blueprint for kings and leaders to follow. And an empowering and an enabling for leaders of nations to step into that you would bless their land because they were dedicated to you and they bowed the knee to you. We pray that for our king. King Charles, we pray it for our Prime Minister and other ministers. We pray it for our parliaments, for our councils. Lord, we pray it for every part of our, uh, the apparatus of government in our land, that we would have godly order and righteous government, and that, Father, you would indeed, as our national anthem declares, save our King in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for